We are starting in Genesis chapter 1, talking about growing. Our series this month is Growing a Great Faith in a Great God. And today we're going to be looking at who God is and thinking about Him. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 5, then we'll go to John chapter 1. Genesis starts, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now let's go to John chapter 1. It is interesting, these parallel passages, John 1, 1 through 5, kind of parallels Genesis when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then I want to add verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Of course, talking about Jesus Christ there. We began our service today with that video emphasizing God's name, Elohim. And that Elohim is that word that was used for God in the verses we read. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. There are many names for God throughout the Bible, all attempting to give us a particular view of His person, of His character. And of course, all of them fall short. None of them can fully describe God or explain Him. But this passage started with Elohim, and it points out God's power, God's creativity, His intention of doing something amazing and powerful. There are a lot of names for God, as I said. Many of them shorten Elohim, just taking that word El, God, and then it, they add on to it. The, the Hebrew language is very descriptive in this way. And some of the ways they do that, one you may have heard, a great song by Amy Grant many years ago, El Shaddai, means God Almighty. El Elyon, God Most High. El Roy, God Who Sees. There are other names for God. One of them is Adonai. When you read your Bible and you see the word Lord and it's capitalized, all four are capital, letters are capitalized, that's generally the Hebrew word Adonai, meaning the Lord our God. God's name that we're familiar with, we say Jehovah is what we call a tetragrammaton, which just means four of something. Tetra is four, grammaton is something. That's the Hebrew the Hebrew didn't have vowels. Uh, must have been very interesting to read. But you, Jehovah in the Hebrew writing was Y-H, 
VH or WH, the V and the W are interchanged. You may have seen it with a W. And that gets kind of transliterated or made up into Yahweh. But it also, if you take the YHVH, it kind of works into Jehovah. And the Hebrews would not say God's name. They considered His name so sacred that they were not allowed to pronounce it. We anglicize it as Jehovah, and it represents God. And it too is sometimes used in conjunction. Jeremiah especially talks about Jehovah Jireh, which means God provides. And so like a lot of languages, they would combine these, uh, this noun and this descriptor, this adjective, to give a, a something, a name, in this case God, a name that helped share, help expand the thought about him, to name some attribute. They're all attempts to describe God, but it's impossible to describe God completely and adequately. And thank goodness, I don't want a God that I can define. I don't want a God that I can, can explain or that I can keep in a box. I need a God that is greater than I can imagine or think. One that is the creator of the universe, one that is all-powerful, one that I can know is truth and trust. And so I'm glad we can't adequately describe him. One interesting note about the word El and Elohim is that it is a plural noun. And many think that it is a foreshadowing, a teaching of the Trinitarian doctrine of God, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. L is a plural usage. Looking at our verses today, in the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. Neither one of those seeks to prove or establish God. It just starts out as a fact. In the beginning, God. And in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus was there at the very beginning. It's stated as a fact. God doesn't try to prove Himself. He doesn't try to give you uh, 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 incontrovertible proof that He exists. God desires us requires us to take Him by faith. That word, in the beginning, God, is left up to you to believe or not. And God gives us that privilege of choosing to believe in Him. He who is all-powerful, He who can snap His fingers, who can speak the words, could make us be robots or uh, android or not androids like uh, like data I'm thinking of, yeah, that do exactly what his will program to only do that. He can do that, but he chooses to allow us to choose him or reject him, to live for him or don't live for him, to believe in him or not believe in him. He wants us to discover him, to believe him for who he is and to walk in faith with Him. Sometimes that seems uh, odd to me. Not maybe how I'd do it if I was God. 
I'd make you all do what I want you to do. But God doesn't do that. He's, he's chosen to give us a will. In that, in John, in the beginning was the Word. The Word there doesn't really translate well. The Greek is logos, or logos, some say. And it kind of means just an overriding principle. It's akin to wisdom. It's, uh, it's that understanding that kind of drives everything. And so the translators have, have used word, capitalized, to, to put that into the English. And Jesus is that just overriding principle, that way of life that He came and He taught us how to live. Elohim, Almighty God, is, is a fact that must be accepted on faith. Those of us who know Him have personal experience. We can and should testify of how God has worked in our life, doing things for us, teaching us. I can share with you stories another time, not taking time, about how God did a miraculous healing in my wife's life. We've had those of you share how God protected them in a terrible car accident that should have taken their life. How God saw them through when a tragedy occurred in their life. We have that personal experience of relating to God. We can also go to His Word and take the teaching, but He's not really provable. I can't prove to you He exists. You have to come to that place in faith that you see the evidence and you choose to believe it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. After God, after Adam and Eve sinned, a schism was developed between us that made us dead to the things of God. And the only way we ever have a chance of coming to God is for that spirit to be awakened or quickened. And so God does that. He comes to each one of us and He ignites a spark there that we start asking, we start looking around us, and we start hearing people sharing with us about what they know about God and, 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 and their experiences with God. And we, we look at the Word and what it teaches and that Spirit works within us and it starts making sense. And we, we choose to accept Him as Lord and Savior. Mankind has always sought for something greater than themselves. Go back as ancient in time as you want. Mankind has elevated something to a God status. Could be a mountain, could be the moon could be the floods, whatever impacted their life, but it, it points out there's that innate vacuum, that need, and that understanding there's something greater than ourselves. The Greeks had that. They, they worshipped many, many gods. They had many, many statues. And when Paul came to visit, he saw one, it said, to the unknown God. They wanted to make sure they covered the bases. And Paul said, I want to tell you about that one. 
and he preached to them about Jesus Christ. Man has that, uh, that God-shaped vacuum that's been described. Pascal talks about that. And the only thing that can fill that vacuum is the Holy God. Faith in God is primary. He insists on it. Hebrews 11.6 For without faith it is impossible to please God, and anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. So we come to Him in faith. God surpasses our understanding, our reason. God is greater than we can imagine. He has always been. He always will be. A common thought, scholarly thought, is that God created our world and our universe ex nihilo. means out of nothing, Latin. And I don't really like that. I don't have the credentials to argue with scholars. But as I read God's Word and as I... Uh, hopefully have gained some understanding. I, I've coined another term that I like better, and it's ex theo. It's mixing Latin and Greek. Ex out of, theo, God. That God created all we see out of Himself. Not out of nothingness. No physical component is what they mean. But God spoke. And it became. God breathed into man and he became a living creature. So I, I just like that ex theo. I, uh, uh, don't take it to seminary. They'll argue with you probably, but it's a term I like. God exists. He creates everything for himself and of himself. God is omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere and every when at once. C.S. Lewis describes God's view as if we're reading a book of fiction that begins at the beginning of a story and ends. And we as the reader, or even if we're reading a history book about our country, we can go back here and we can read about the Vikings and Columbus coming to America. We can move on. We can look at the Civil War. We can keep going to World War II, Vietnam, up to our day and time. We are seeing all of the history at once. And that's how God is with everything. He sees it all. He is, he is in the past with Adam and Eve, just like He's here with us today. He spans all time. He is everywhere at once. He is omnipresent. And of course, He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And he's, he's more than any of that. Yet, we puny humans limit God. How do we limit God? Well, first, the statement's a fallacy, of course. We don't limit God. But we do limit His role in our life. As I said, God who has the power to do anything within us and with us that He chooses has willed instead that we would choose to follow Him. And so He gives us that ability to believe or not believe, to follow or not follow. And He wants to do everything for us. He says, call unto Me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know it's not. He said, I have come to give you life and that more abundant. 
Jesus likened God to that perfect Father who wants to bestow good things upon His children. And God, every good thing comes from above. That's who God wants to be in your life. But you can quench that. Hence Paul gave the warning, quench not the Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit. We can shut Him off. We can harden our hearts. We can close off His work in our lives. And uh, I was thinking about this. God uh, giving me this to me. And, and the illustration, a thing came to mind of videos I've seen of a little kitten with a massive dog. And the dog's just laying there and that kitten's pouncing, it's pulling, biting its ear, it's waving at, scratching its tail, and the dog just lays there. Or maybe it's a, a cub with its uh, bear parent or lion parent, and they tussle and wrestle and aggravate, I'm sure, but the parent just kind of lays there and takes it. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't threaten who they are for the little one to attack them for the little one to try to hurt them. And so it doesn't threaten who God is for us to have questions, for us to wonder, for us to strive to learn. He waits for us. He doesn't need to prove who He is. He is. So that relationship is similar. In His strength, He allows us to find our way. He lets each of us be individuals, which is a lesson for each of us to each of us, is that we need to allow each other to go through what they need to go through to learn about God the way they learn. That we respect that as we are moving towards God. We're different people. We have different experiences. But... God is the supreme creator, but when we doubt his word, we then place ourselves as his judge. That's not right, God. That can't be what you meant. You surely wouldn't mean that. When we place our desires above his commands, we make ourselves his master. When we disbelieve his word and say it isn't true or it no longer applies, we place our knowledge greater than His. We may not think that way. We may not ever say that. But our actions say that. When we are faced with a decision and we know God would have us do something or we just know innately the right thing to do, but we choose to go another way, we are placing our will, our knowledge, our wisdom above God's, above what is right. And even when we say, God can't save me. I've done two terrible things. He could never forgive that. We are placing ourselves as mightier than His saving grace. And it's just not so. So we, we do this in our actions by not obeying God, by not following His leading, by questioning, not in a, a, a right kind of questioning, but in a that isn't right, you're wrong. 
that doesn't apply anymore. That's a different God. That's not what He means. On and on the list goes. We love God. We give Him praise. We sing how great Thou art. We sing majesty, but our actions elevate ourselves over Him. We put ourselves, when we do that, in the company of Satan. We align ourselves with His enemy. I'm going to bring Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 up on the screen. It's a very powerful time. God is prophesying. He's talking to Lucifer. And He's saying, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the enthroned of the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That was Satan's attitude. He who was a created angel. And from everything we understand, he was created to be a powerful angel. There is a few in the Bible we know. Michael, the archangel. Gabriel was a messenger. Then we have lesser roles. But Lucifer had that pride. And he said, I'm going to be greater than God. I'm going to rise above him. And so it is whenever we place ourselves above God's decrees, above God's leading, above God's teaching, above God's direction in our life, we are joining in with the great accuser, the great adversary. We would never do that, and well, some do. I would hope we would never do that, align ourselves purposefully with Satan. But we can do that in our attitude, in our heart, and so we must be cautious of how we do. And what is God's response? To Lucifer and the angels, he cast them out of heaven. They were never going to have the relationship that they originally had with him. And we know from scriptural studies in the book of Revelation that one day they will be consigned to the lake of fire and brimstone. What about us? What about us when we place ourselves over the ways of God? What does he do? Does he, does he, uh, how does he respond? How does the Lion of Judah act? Does he roar and bare his teeth? Does he clamp those powerful jaws on us and rend us apart? Does he make us tremble with that roar? He doesn't, does he? He patiently, mercifully, graciously bids us come, tells us the story again, reminds us of his love, envelops us with his person, bidding us, developing, wanting that relationship. We who had, through the sin nature of man, rejected him, God draws, loving us, 
Jesus came and presented God's gift of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And He confirmed all three by a sacrificial death on the cross. He made eternal fellowship available immediately with our Father Creator and He returned to heaven to prepare a place for us. But, Jesus also told us there's coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day when we'll be separated to the left or to the right as sheep and goats. We'll be separated as those who followed God and those who refused to follow Him. He taught that us that one day God will say to those who followed Him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now enter into thy rest. But there will be others that come to Him and He will say, Depart from Me, for I never knew you. Depart to a place where there is only turmoil and gnashing of teeth. Our loving Savior, the one we love to think of as merciful and meek, and He was kind, forgiving, healing, was also very forthright with us that there is coming a day. God is merciful, gracious, and forgiving until He isn't. He has let us know there is coming a day when accounts will be settled. And that day may come when we take our last breath. And at that moment, it's determined whether we'll enter into heaven or be forever separated from Him. It may come on that day that the trumpet sounds, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, time will be no more. It may be when that lightning flashes from the east to the west and the Lord descends in the clouds and catches us away to be with Him. Either one, we don't know when it'll be. We're all a breath away from eternity. Oh, we can play the odds. We probably will live a long time, but we don't know that. It may not be. Hopefully, you've chosen well. My prayer is that you've chosen to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that your eternal life is assured. Hopefully, if you have not chosen well, you will today. That God is speaking right now and you'll realize the need, you'll realize that you want to receive Him and live for Him. Today, the Savior is waiting for you to open your heart and receive Him. And He will receive you, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done. Followers of Christ, you have acted in faith, taking God at His word. But do you reserve areas of doubt that you just won't believe Him in? Do you say that some of his things he, he must not have meant that he, that isn't really what he said. Do you decide to disobey the creator of the universe? Some things he's left for us to discover, but many things he said, thus saith the Lord, and he wants us to do. Jesus in John fifteen sixteen said, you did not choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit, 
fruit that will last. We all know apples don't last forever. They turn brown and rot. Same with bananas do real quick. Oranges, any fruit. So what's the fruit that will last? The fruit that will last is souls one to the Lord. Having spiritual children and grandchildren. And Jesus said, I chose you to do that. So today we recognize God's magnificence, His strength. He is Elohim. He is the Creator. He is Jehovah Adonai, El Shaddai, El Yelion. He wants to be our Savior, Redeemer, friend, and brother. And so, will we let Him out of our box? That we contain Him in? That this must be who He is? This must be how He wants to act? This must be what's true? And anything else doesn't fit in our box is not true? Will we limit Him in that way? Or will we open ourselves and allow Him full reign in our life. Always the question comes, how do we respond? In other words, what do I need to do? And as I said, we're each different. We each have different needs. We're at different places in our walk. So we can't necessarily say to each other, this is what you need to do. If you don't know the Lord as Savior, you need to do that. But other than that, how do you know what you need to open up to God? You ask. You listen. He wants to tell us. He wants to do for us. Leave one final set of verses with you. John 13, 13 through 17 as we see them. Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's feet, servant spirit. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus calls us. He calls us to salvation. He calls us to a relationship with Him. That's not the end of it. He calls us to serve each other. He calls us to tell each other. We have people in our community, our state, our world, who don't know Jesus Christ. And Jesus has given us that responsibility. He expects us to act in love to each other, forgiving, accepting, helping, teaching, picking up, caring for. As I have done for you, I expect you to do for others, Jesus said. So how do we respond? And this is not a judgment for me upon you. I'm where you are. Every day, I need that time with my Lord, focusing on Him, saying, 
Show me, Lord. Teach me where I need to grow, what I need to give up. So this is not a finger pointing at you. It's a hand extended that there is a God and he wants us to have an abundant life and live for him. So how will you respond? Ask God and listen. Let's